Hello and welcome to If Homeschool Walls Could Talk. I'm your host, Jenny Hahn. Something that's really important to me whenever I've moved to a new area is finding a homeschool community. I don't really like to go it alone. I know lots of people do. They just totally go it alone, but I like having support. I like having other parents who are in the trenches along with me and also to be able to do group activities and fun classes, things like that. When I first moved to Washington, there were two different groups that we had the options of choosing and we kind of tested the waters with a couple of them. And the one that fit best was led by my friend Sia Saunders. So we joined that one. The kids right away were having a great time making friends, looking forward to it. And pretty quickly, Sia was asking me to do more, to step in more, to teach more. And it kind of felt good to be needed and necessary, but also it was a little bit scary. And I thought, she's trusting me to do more and to like teach Shakespeare with her. It was like a little wild, but as I got to know her better and all the years now we've spent teaching and working alongside each other, I just realized that she just really wants everybody to have opportunities to learn and grow and to step into those leadership roles, into those teaching roles as much as they will, as much as they're willing. So that's one of the things I love about her. She's also a wonderful friend and we talk about all the things not just homeschool. We talk about all the things and that is really fun and, and very precious to me. So I'm excited to share this interview with you. She, Sia Saunders is one of my oldest friends here in Washington and we just had a really great conversation. So I'm excited for you guys to listen in. Sia, this is so fun to have you here. We've talked, been talking about this for a long time, like months about doing this. You've had a lot on your plate with moving and all the things. So I'm really glad we're able to do this. Thank you. It's fun to be here. Yeah, it's a beautiful day today. We're sitting in the shade outside my house and you're going to hear periodically roosters crowing in the background. So it's just going to be really authentic, very natural and real today. <laughs> but I figured you're game for that. So it's just, hey, that's the way life is. <laughs> yes, totally. So let's start off. I know you really well, but yes. you introduce yourself to our listeners. That would be great. Okay. Well, I have six kids. We've been homeschooling since my oldest, who's now 15, since he was six and in first grade. So actually, I guess he was seven. So I've been homeschooling since my oldest was yeah, a long time. seven. So it's been a while. Um, it's been about eight years, um, but it's been fantastic. It's been a really great journey for us, and it's been a decision we've never regretted. So that's kind of what my homeschool is, but I don't know what else you want me. <laughs> well, tell us like how you came to decide to homeschool. Were like, were you homeschooled growing up? Okay. No, I was not homeschooled growing up. I went through the public school system. My family, my dad um, was constantly changing jobs. So we moved about every three years. Uh, so that was always fun. So the one thing good that came out of it for me was that I got to experience a lot of different schools. I got to experience a lot of different approaches to education. And we we lived in Utah and Colorado and Washington is kind of where I ended up, where I graduated high school. And through all of that, 
that was one of the best thing during my education was experiencing all of these different schools because each school seemed to focus on different parts of learning. And so I got a pretty broad range through that experience. Um, how we came to homeschooling was my homeschool journey actually started before I was married. I was in college and I had just taken a class. I, I received my degree in horticulture and um, I just taken a test in one of my classes and I was walking from the, from the testing building just down the sidewalk back to my apartment and I was a little annoyed at this teacher. I was annoyed with the way he taught the class. I was annoyed with the way that we were being tested and how we were expected to gain this information. <laughs> Rooster. <laughs> That's not, that won't be the last time. No, nope, I love it. <laughs> and through that, I started kind of question. I start the question kind of came to my mind of what is an education? Why am I here? What is the purpose of all of this? And through all this, I started thinking about the times when I received, when I had the best education, when I learned the most. And it was always through reading classics. It was always when I was pursuing something on my own and, and specifically classics. While, like I said, throughout the, the schools that I went through middle school and high school through were very strongly focused on classics. And so whenever we read a book, whenever we did a book report, it was always on a classics. Whenever we had a book discussion that we had to read for class, it was always a classic. Like it was just, that was where my education was based on. So I feel very fortunate for that because it helped set the stage for me for loving and enjoying hard books. So by the time I got to college, I would go pick up classic book lists from the library and I would just start reading through them and just going through them. And so because of that, I got a really good broad education. So anyway, I was walking, I was walking home from taking this test and I was thinking about education and where I received the best education. What is education? And it came to me, if someone knows can read, every idea is open to them. That's all someone needs to know how to do is be able to read. And I was, I felt really good about this answer. As I continued to think about it, it, it hit me. Well, you have to be able to communicate ideas too. You can't just absorb them. You have to be able to communicate. So you have to be able to write. So you have to be able to read. You have to be able to write. That's awesome. That That's what you need for great education. And then it kind of came to me, but you also have to be able to think. So those three things kind of set the groundwork for what we felt was our homeschool journey later on. You have to be able to read. You have to be able to write and you have to be able to think. So years later, my husband and I met and got married, and we had our first child, and we <clears throat> wanted, I can't remember who said it to this day, and so it kind of makes me laugh that neither one of us can remember, but one of us said, hey, I want to homeschool. I've kind of been thinking about that, and the other one said, you know, me too. <laughs> what do I want my kids leaving home with? What do they want to get out of our experience? Like, that's so much more critical, and like, curriculum does, just doesn't really matter. No, it really doesn't at that point. And truth be told, you could pick one book and you could teach them a strong book. We call it a core book. If you have a core, strong core book, you don't really need any other curriculum. And that's scary for a lot of people because curriculums are a safety net for a lot of people because they don't feel secure in their own education. Yeah. And especially when you're just starting, 
Mm -hmm. you don't have a philosophy. You don't even know what the end in mind is yet. The end goal. You just, you need something right now. And you're just looking for something to hold your hand. And that's like, that's pretty common to go about it. That's how I went about it. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I'll try this thing. Now I'll try this thing. And yeah, you know. I realize I'm an anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes your story interesting too, right? Because <laughs> there are people, I've met other people who absolutely knew they wanted from day one. But I think you telling about being in college and asking those questions, that's where it started. It, absolutely. That you is know? where it completely started. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about since that decision and what that has looked like since. Because were you living up here at this point? Yeah, we were up in Washington. Yeah, by okay. Then, Southwest Washington. So we started to homeschool, and I had read Leadership Education. And if you're not familiar with the book, even if you don't do it, I highly recommend people go read it. My So my husband said, you know, so we decided we were going to homeschool. So we kind of thought about this again. Our oldest was just a baby at this point, And we kind of started talking to a couple people. We hadn't mentioned anything to our families yet because we knew their stance. His his parents' background is strong on education. His mom got her master's in childhood education, early childhood development. And they were very pro-school, pro-public schools. And... So we decided to go, we, we talked to a few friends though, and they kind of talked us out of it for a lot of reasons that people often say, what about their socialization? Well, if you have the good kids stay home, who's going to be the influence for good in the schools? And what about toughening up? They have to learn how to have hard experiences, like all of the things that homeschool families hear. And we kind of through this, we kind of got a little cold feet and chickened out and we decide well okay we still want we don't want to take homeschool completely off the table but we'll put our kids in public school see how it goes but if there's any trouble we'll pull them out in homeschool so my first experience was my son was we lived down in Oregon at the time and I my son my oldest was ready to go to preschool he was at that preschool age and I looked around at the preschools around us and their curriculums, and I was like, well, well my three-year-old already does all these things. He already knows all these things, so I don't really see a point in sending him to preschool. And I had heard stories. My mother-in-law ran a preschool, and so I kind of knew what she kind of did with her kids. I was like, we're just going to do what Nana does, what she did. <laughs> I'm sure she was a lot more successful at it than I was. <laughs> It kind of turned into a compulsory education and it lasted for about two weeks before we were, my son and I were both done and it wasn't worth it. And we just went back to what we were doing before. It was successful. Yeah. (laughs) And um, so we sent him to kindergarten. It was an okay experience. We did send him to it. We did finally find a good preschool that we liked and it was a good fit. So we, he was five and we sent him to kindergarten and it was an okay experience. We sent him to first grade, and that's kind of when the ground underneath us kind of came out. Like he was, the end of kindergarten, he was reading, he was doing well, he was finishing everything really quickly and playing and had free time. Uh, in first grade, they by the end of the year, he was in a remedial reading program, and the question, and we didn't find out about it until the end of the year, and so the question came to us of why was he at the top of his class at the beginning of the year and the bottom of his class at the end of the year? That just didn't add up. And why didn't, why weren't we consulted on this? Why weren't we 
made aware of the situation with our child. And we had moved, um, we were up in Washington at this time and we had moved. And so a friend of mine was picking him up from school on one day of the week so I could take his younger sister to dance classes. And I was visiting with her one day, picking him up and she goes, you know, we're gonna homeschool next year. And I looked at her and I said, me too. That's what we're going to do too. So I went home. <laughs> I went home and I talked to my husband about it. And we decided we're going to homeschool through the summer. What do we have to lose? Absolutely nothing. So through this, of course, that friend and I, we kept talking and we kind of, it was funny because she and I both came across the same philosophy and we both, it was what we wanted to do, but I came across it, not, she came across it through a different friend and I came across it because I found a lady's number on the internet through my homeschool research, <laughs> reading blogs and kind of finding out as much as I could about homeschool. And I knew one of the blogs I read very quickly, well, a lot of them said that they did at nine o'clock, they did this at nine 30, they did this class at nine 35, they did this. And they had a very strong schedule laid out and everybody who said they did that said they got burnt out. Yeah, And so I knew right away. I was like, I know that. I did that when my son was in preschool. I don't need to do that again. I know, that's a terrible idea. And I don't want to get burnt out. I want this to be sustainable for our family. And so around this time, I found that phone number from a lady in the area who kind of who ran a Yahoo group for homeschool moms in the area. And I called her up and it's <laughs> like, hey, um, so I got your number off the Internet. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to talk to you about homeschool if that's okay. <laughs> and she said, sure. So I was blown away. Like what homeschool mom has time to talk to a complete stranger on the phone in the middle of the day? It just blew my mind. And so I had, I had beforehand, I'd written a huge long list of everything I wanted to ask somebody. And one of my concerns was, I love my son, my oldest, but man, that kid can push my buttons and drive me bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked her about that. And I asked her about curriculum. And I asked her about state laws. And I asked her about every burning desire, the socialization, and every burning desire every newbie homeschooler, wannabe homeschool parent asks. Yeah. And she walked through all the different curriculums. She told me about state law. She told me how how to fulfill those state requirements. She um, gave me a lot of information about different curriculums and different programs and different opportunities. And as I was, she kind of asked me what I wanted and I kind of shared with her some of my experiences, the one about college as well as the preschool experience. And she said, you know, there's this book that you should read. And I said, okay. She goes, it's in the library. I put it there. So I know there's two copies of it there. And I said, okay, great. And so when I got off the phone with her, so she told me about that, but she also promised me two things. She said, it works. Have faith, it works. And she could say that because her kids, she had kids in college. They had left the house. They had started down at the time what I considered a successful path. And she had older kids and she had time to talk to me in the middle of the day. I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> I um, 
so we got off the phone and instead of going to the library to order it, I just went online and I bought it because I figured, you know, we're going to do this. I'm going to jump in with both feet. She highly recommends it. And she gave me so much to think about with all the different curriculums and her guidance and her counsel in those. <clears throat> so I got the book, A Thomas Jefferson Education, and I read it and it just made sense to me. It was exactly what I wanted. It was a philosophy that I could apply to any curriculum I wanted. It was, it backed up being, being strong in the classics and writing and thinking. Those are the main parts of this. And then it gave me tools how to implement those things with my children and how to understand it. So to me, it just made sense. And we've actually been following those principles ever since. We've had a couple curriculums I tried right at the beginning. They lasted for a year. Some curriculums, the ones that I use with this formula of classics and writing and thinking, I still use them today with my kids. And um, it's been, so that's kind of how we've got started into homeschool. Well, there's so many things in that story that I'm just like, okay, number one, that you and your husband were totally aligned in wanting to homeschool. What happened in his life to be at peace with homeschooling right <laughs> off the bat? That's what I want to know. So we actually both hated high school. We both hated our experience in school. We hated, he, he came from a background where they had to get A's. And he just did not like being told what to do. So he just did not enjoy the high school experience at all. He didn't enjoy the classes. He didn't enjoy the pressure. He just, it was just not a good experience. So he was open to something else. I had a very similar experience. I didn't have to get A's. I knew I could get A's if I wanted to, but I considered the busy work annoying. And so it just didn't make sense to me to do that. So I didn't get A's. But it was, so neither one of us had a good experience in high school. We did not thrive in the high school, public school environment. And so that's where he was, let's do homeschooling. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I remember when my husband and I first even talked about it, we both were like, well, middle school is the worst. So if anything, it's the worst. So we'll homeschool in middle school, but anything else would just be crazy. We don't want to be those crazy people. But we're like both, (laughs) we're on the same page with middle school. But yeah, that's always interesting to me because that's what a lot of homeschool families struggle with is not being aligned mm-hmm. on that you know and best advice I ever heard was Rachel DeMille who said put the relationship first absolutely like, you know and that was really like okay that's where you start you really just preserve your marriage you know absolutely that is more important if you that's one of the things that I like about leadership education is it doesn't matter if your kids are public schooled or homeschooled or private schooled or schooled in a tree house it doesn't matter <laughs> Tree schooled, <laughs> tree schooled, <laughs> car schooled, RV schooled. It doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing. You can apply those principles. And yeah. that was to me is it's truth. It doesn't matter. And you can translate that to anything, whether you agree with leadership education or not, is the your marriage relationship comes first. A relationship with your kids comes first. It's homeschool is not so important that those things should be. Yeah, don't sacrifice relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting that you mentioned was that you found the the philosophy that works for you on the first shot. That blows my mind because I mean I was researching and stuff like five years before you were, and but I just didn't even have anyone to talk to. <laughs> you know, the one person I did talk to had never homeschooled, but she knew of a book. 
you know? So that's amazing. And I feel like, I don't know that people necessarily realize that you may figure it out on the first try, but it may take multiple tries mm-hmm. to get there too. Absolutely. Know? Well, even though I had, so some of the things that drew me to leadership education were things that I had already figured out. What Because I, I started off with the question, what do I want our homeschool experience to be like? What do I want to put into it? And what I tell people now is when your children leave your house, what do you want them to know? What's the most important thing? If you don't teach them anything else, what's the most important thing that you teach them? And for my husband and I, it was we wanted them to have a relationship with God. That was our most important thing. Anything after that was icing on the cake. And so anything that we did had to support that. And now I know I hadn't read the book at the time, but begin with the end in mind. What do you want? Where do you want to be? And then back up and how are you going to get there? And so asking the questions that I asked taking that t- after taking that test, that test was horrible. Why did I hate it? Why? What? By asking questions, it helped me. It helped prepare my mind to know where I wanted to go. I didn't just want to homeschool. I wanted to homeschool deliberately. That's awesome. Especially right now, all I hear people talking about, like new homeschoolers, because we're being flooded with new homeschoolers, right? Yes. People who are which saying- Which is awesome. Which is awesome and amazing, but also like, how do you even help all these people? Because the only questions I hear anybody asking is, what curriculum should I buy? Mm-hmm. You know, and this idea of beginning with the end in mind, really what I want. So one of the things that leadership education talks about is having a mom school, where mom spends It could be five minutes, it could be an hour, however long it works, um, of teaching things that's inspiring to you as a mom and then kind of breaking up and helping children individually and kind of doing whatever the family needs are at the time, whatever the season is, whatever's going on. And so our mom school at the beginning looked a little bit more compulsory education, I have to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So you were normal. I was was normal, absolutely. I had to go through that detox phase of... (laughs) kind of going through things and part of that too is that's your only frame of reference absolutely it's not like you sat in on other homeschool families and watched what they did or no you know besides my one friend I didn't know any other homeschool families and then the lady I called but I never met her in person I met her years later at a class yeah (laughs) but I you know and so I didn't actually have any support locally besides myself and my one friend and we didn't call each other up and saying, okay, what are you doing here? And what are you doing here? Cause even though we both read the same book and we were applying the principles, we applied them differently in our homes and we were kind we kind of went about different paths a little bit. So our mom's school definitely looked more compulsory. We did the pledge. We sang a song. We, I think that first year I really wanted to teach. I was all about folk songs at the time. So we spent a lot of time learning different folk songs and I brought out my rhythm instruments and we practiced a lot. We did a lot of those things. Um, my oldest son did his math curriculum. My daughter did her math curriculum. Like we were checking all the boxes. We were doing great. Um, by the end of the year, those curriculums were not so good. I switched to another curriculum the next year and those went off the way. And But I was trying hard to follow the leadership education principles. I joined the Facebook group and so I was getting a lot of feedback through that and getting a lot of help and guidance and mentoring. So that really was my biggest support was the Facebook group that I was a part of. Through the Yahoo group though, 
uh, uh, she's now a dear friend of mine, said, hey, anyone who wants to come play, we're meeting at my house once a week. And I was like, hey, I could do that. That would be kind of fun. I had, I just had my fifth baby at the time. So he was very young and I couldn't really commit to a lot. So I'd go every once in a while and we'd go and it was just really a play group is really what it was. Once we kind of rotated between the moms to take turns of sharing a little inspirational thought and then the kids played and we just talked. And as my son got older, so he was about eight. And if you're familiar with leadership education, he was at that that phase change between core phase and love of learning. And I was like, well, he turned eight, which means he's in love of learning. That is not the case. And I know that now, <laughs> a little bit wiser now. But so I thought everything was going well. But when he turned nine, that was truly when he made that transition and our homeschool changed because so you probably experienced this too, but every about every six months to every year, the way you do homeschool completely changes. Oh yeah. Like totally. every cycle changes and the different needs happen. And I was aware that what my son needed, I was no longer meeting and I didn't know how to meet it. And so I posted on the leadership education, Facebook page, kind of what was going on, how old my son was and just like, help, I need help. And Rachel DeMille said, you really need to read this book, lollipop book. And I was like, okay. So again, I went and bought it. And there's just certain people when they tell you to read a book that you just go buy it and read oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got people like that. <laughs> like, you say so? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel DeMille is one of those people for me. So I went and I read the lollipop book. Tell us what what's the, total, the title. Oh, the title. Yeah. Yes. It does have a big lollipop on the front. Yes. yes. A cute rainbow heart lollipop. <laughs> It's called For the Love of Learning, Giving Your Child a Lollipop Education. And lollipop is an acronym, which stands for love of learning integrated with play and what's the last P? Projects. Play and projects. What's the O? Play. Oh, projects and opportunities to play projects and opportunities we will put these links in the show notes for the leadership education book and the lollipop book so you can just look in there i might have those wrong sorry amy edwards if i do <laughs> amy edwards is the, is the author we know that for sure and she's amazing i've had a chance to attend one of her classes she's amazing she's amazing um Anyway, so I read this book and as I was reading it, so this book reaches the bridge between the core phase and the love of learning phase when your child is still mostly wanting to play, but is starting to tap their foot into a little bit deeper learning, a little bit more focused learning. And that was exactly what my son was going through. As I was reading the first couple chapters, I was like, yes, yes. It was like reading the, the Thomas Jefferson book all over again. And throughout the whole thing, this book teaches you how to set up a, a mom school, but not a family mom school, but a mom school as a community. And I read this book and I was like, this is, this is what my son needs and I need to do it here at my house. So that was a fun experience. We didn't actually ever end up holding it at my house, but I went back to my friends who, um, this play group, and I told her, I said, you know, I can't do this anymore because I'm starting this. And she goes, well, I want to join you. And I said, okay, great. And by this time I had one other friend who did leadership education in the area. I had introduced her to it. And so the three of us were the only people 
there were a couple other people in the group who did leadership education, but these two were the ones I was really close with. And the friend from that play group said, well, I'm going to go talk to these other moms and see if they're interested. And she did. And they all joined. And so now that started our little core group that started our foundation for a community. And so we're still doing education, our homeschool at home. And we started a community based on these principles and it's been going now for six um, years. This is our sixth year. I think this is our sixth year. And so it's been going on for six years. It's super strong. And it's been really amazing to watch the transformation that's happened in our community wow. through me. And I mean, my own transformation, my kids' transformation, but then watching other families transform through the process too. That's awesome. It has, I mean, it's been huge for our family too, just how we managed to get connected across the United States. Yeah, that story is crazy. That is crazy. I talk a little <laughs> bit in episode one about that, about finding this group and, you know, I never had any idea that it, the friendships it would create and the benefit it would have for my kids and everything. So Absolutely. I was thinking about this idea of community and co-ops, right? Like, because a lot of people, they want that community. They look for organizations and things that are put together and there's ones that are philosophically based right mm -hmm. like our commonwealth school is the philosophy is leadership education that's what it's built on but it's not a requirement it's not a requirement yeah and then you have in the area and i know there's wild and free groups and there's charlotte mason groups and there's classical conversation groups mm -hmm. and things like that and i haven't experienced any of them i've just been in a lot of co-ops so tell us what makes the Commonwealth school different than like a co-op group? That's a good question. And it's a question that I get a lot. Yeah. Understandably. So, so the big thing with the Commonwealth is that the parents, all the parents have an equal say in it and you're building up to base to basically kind of a government of the school. And, but it's still based on all the families moving toward a same goal. It's that same thing. end in my, begin with the end in mind. One of the big things with co-ops is often there's one, two, maybe three people leading the co-op. They make all the decisions. If you like it, you can stay. If you don't like it, it's not a good fit for you. And you, but often when that person and that group of people are done, their children are gone, they've left the common, their co-ops or they get burnt out, the co-op usually just fizzles out and it just kind of dies because there's no one picking up the reins. One of the big advantages with a commonwealth is that it's built generationally. It's built to be around for 20 or 30 years so or longer. They haven't been around that long yet. <laughs> so there's actually in some commonwealths, they have the second generation coming through now. So that's one of the huge advantages with a commonwealth is that it's not meant to fizzle out. It's meant to go on. And one of the things that I see with that, I'm hopefully, I've been saying this for a few years now, <laughs> but hopefully this will be the year that I have the opportunity to step down. And because we've had, we have everything put in place. And what that does is that allows someone else to step into that leadership ro role and continue their education and leadership to serve the community, to have those growing experiences. I have never grown so much as when I have served in this capacity as the leader of this commonwealth, the chairman, because the leadership hands-on real world experience, that can't be taught. You have to experience it. Yeah. And it's propelled me onto 
a path that I'm excited about. It's it's prepared me for this next step in life that you would not be able to have any other way besides real world experience through a job, through a career. And as a homeschool mom, you don't, you're not necessarily pursuing some do, which is amazing that they can do that. It wasn't in my cards. So having this opportunity to grow in that way has been fantastic. So when we talked about doing this interview and I asked you, do you have ideas what you want to talk about? And one of the things you mentioned was challenges. Oh yeah. Like dealing with challenges. And I'm like, I totally want to zero in on what you've experienced as a leader in the Commonwealth is running this Commonwealth. Right. So it started off with this little like grown up play group where you actually are like, okay, no, I know I, I, what I want to do. I want to do these projects based on this book, but also that leadership over the last few years, you've also had other challenges too, just oh, things sure. you've dealt with. So for how, sure. how have you like, like a lot of people looking from the outside in, at what you are juggling and managing in the Commonwealth alone seems overwhelming, right? Like lots of people are like, I don't want that job. Yes. You know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but you've had other challenges too. So tell us about like negotiating all these different challenges. Challenges. Yeah, definitely lots of challenges over the years. When I started the Commonwealth, so one of the things that Amy Edwards talks in her book is and one of the biggest driving factors for me for starting the Commonwealth was when children hit the age of around 14, so high school age, they want to be, they want to go to school wherever their peers are. From everything that I read, from everything that I'd studied, I didn't want to lose my kids. I didn't want to put all the effort into them, into their education and into building them up, only to have them feel isolated and alone and wanting to be at a different place. I wanted them, if they wanted to go to high school, that was fine, but I wanted them to go for the right reasons, not because they felt alone. They felt alone. Yeah. So that was a huge motivating factor for me. And that was why I started that Commonwealth. This Commonwealth was because I wanted my kids to have friends. I wanted their friends to be like-minded. I wanted them to have similar experiences. I wanted them to be able to discuss deep things with their friends and not feel ostracized. And to this day, even though they've got friends at church and they've got friends in the neighborhood, they've got friends elsewhere, their best friends are definitely in the Commonwealth because of that connection of being able to have those similar experiences. So as we the Commonwealth got going, it definitely took up a lot more time than I had anticipated. And it was definitely a challenge trying to manage my baby at the time was one. He was one when we started the Commonwealth. And so that challenge has definitely come through of trying to balance family, trying to balance a baby, trying to get people to actually want to participate. They all liked what I was selling and they wanted to be there. They just, a lot of them didn't want to do the work. They wanted to just show up. Yeah. And that was a huge transformation of changing families from a co-op mindset to a commonwealth mindset. Now, I realize not every family that goes to a co-op has that mindset of just entertain my kids or whatever. But that's how our commonwealth was being treated by a lot of families. Not all of them, but a lot of them of just I show up, we do this thing, and then we go home, and it's great. And I didn't want to burn out. And for the first three or four years, probably three years, Every spring, toward the end of the year, I'd, 
I hate this. <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> this is a terrible idea. What would happen if I just stopped? And I even fantasized about moving away <laughs> to another area where there was another Commonwealth already started and I could just slip in under the radar and just be one of those moms that just showed up. <laughs> You're like, what would that be like? Oh, it felt wonderful. But... <laughs> I'd go back to why am I doing this? Why is this so important? And I would let myself feel sorry for myself for a week or two, sometimes a month. And I'd, but eventually it always came back to something would always happen. And it would always be, yes, this is worth it. My kids are thriving. Look at the friendships and the support that I've gained from it. Look at how these families are thriving. We just had another family who was able to jump up and step up in a role. There was all these good things that were happening along with the struggles and the challenges. Other things that I've had to work closely with the board, I've always had a board and my board and I haven't always seen eye to eye. And so being able to have an idea that I really strongly believe in and having to sell an idea and work through things and getting the criticism and the feedback and tweaking my idea and hearing other people's idea and trying to work through all these things, that's definitely been a challenge for me. And because let's be honest, I like getting my own way. <laughs> well, doesn't everybody? Yes. <laughs> so, but it's it's helped me build those skills too of working with people and learning how to do things. And my homeschool, some years, especially when I started teaching some of the harder classes, the scholar classes, we didn't do homeschool that much at home. Or when I had when I was pregnant and I couldn't get out of bed with my sixth child because I was so sick, I would show up to church and I would show up to the Commonwealth. I would do what I had to do and I'd go home and just feel like I was going to die. And that was hard. And so my kids didn't get a whole lot of homeschool experience from home, but they're doing fine. They've even thrived those years <laughs> when I was a little bit more hands off. And it's kind of interesting because that's one of the things that leadership education teaches too, is you build the culture, you build the environment at home and you set the example and they will thrive. And that was what I was banking my trust on at the time. My faith was, we have the culture, we have the environment. I'm setting the example by leaning out of my own education and coming home and talking to my kids about the things that I'm reading for the, for the classes I was teaching at the Commonwealth and exposing them to these different ideas and these different things. And we would read a lot. And that was how we homeschooled for probably about two years. It was just hanging on by just sheer grit just had we had to do it since that time I mean and then there's definitely been especially those first couple of years when we started people wanted a group but they didn't want to buy into what I was doing they would want to kind of come in and try to hijack my vision and so that was honestly the biggest conflicts that I had with people were people who wanted to be part of the group but they didn't buy into the vision of what I was trying to create and they would try to hijack it or change it. And they, you know, I had a lot of unfortunate experiences that way. However, and I don't know how many of those. The two years that you basically were very bare bones, hanging on by your knuckles, right? Mm -hmm. Did you ever have fear or doubt that is this going to be okay? Is everybody going to turn out okay? Or did you just. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was terrified, but I kept going back. To... It always comes back to principles. What do you believe is true? And I believed with all my heart that if I was, and this is one of the leadership education principles, focus on you, not them. Do what's yours to do. 
And I wanted, I was going through something hard. And during that time I was going through hard things, I was able to share those experiences with, again, my oldest son at the time who needed those lessons. And then when he got to a point where he was experiencing some bullying, I was able, not that I experienced that bullying, but I was able to teach him how to deal with these difficult situations with people and what his options were, which I would not have had before. I would have been a mama bear before and been like, where I still was, but I was able to control it and allow him, allow him to realize this is his that he has to work through and I can support him and give him the tools because of it. So yeah, it was really hard and it was crazy, but it allowed me, even though I wasn't, even though I was terrified sometimes of what my, what was going to happen with my children's education, I still believe with all my heart that if I was able to focus on my education and teach them as much as I possibly could, they would be okay. Now, I have to say the one thing that we did consistently is we read scriptures as a family consistently, and we were consistently reading books together. So we, in leadership education, that's a family read. And we always did a family read. At the beginning, I did it just with my, with my kids in the morning. We'd get up, and when I was really sick and couldn't get out of bed, the kids would bring me the book, and they'd sit on the bed while I was, while I was reading the book to them. And we discussed it a little bit until I felt too nauseous to <laughs> do anymore. There was something going on. And so that's kind of, so it always came back to the principle of you, not them. And I just bought into that because I could see how, I could see how it would work. I understood the principle behind that phrasing. So, and then, and now I'm coming back where, well, we just moved. I don't know. Yeah. Another <laughs> so, challenge. Another challenge trying so to move. So we've covered pregnancy, <laughs> moving, tons of responsibility and leadership. Okay, go on. Yeah. So we moved and, oh, and we lived with my in-laws for six months. So that was, they're great now and they're very supportive of what we do, but it's still hard, you know, being in someone else's house and trying to homeschool. And then COVID hit and we're trying oh, to yeah. homeschool during that at my in-laws house, which is a whole nother challenge. But moving, definitely homeschool took a huge back burner again because we had to get our house ready to sell, which meant waking up in the morning and doing yard work all day or waking up and painting all day. And But one of the things is we get to use those experiences, those opportunities to teach our children. And those, again, are the real world experiences. They're the things that build character in us. And our children has been unfortunate that that's happened. And some of those relationships, I don't know, some of those relationships have healed. And some of them, I, I never really talked to some of those people again, which is really unfortunate because I don't have any hard feelings toward them. I didn't take it personal. I did at the time, but I don't now. And so that was definitely a huge challenge for me of losing friends. And, but knowing that what I was doing, I was doing it for, not for me, I was doing it for my kids and I was trying to create what they needed, what they wanted. And fortunately there was enough other people in the area who wanted and needed the same things for their children that they did buy into that and they wanted to be a part of it. So even though I had these challenges and challenging relationships with some people, I had really great relationships and it kind of forced me to rely on these people who supported me even more. Yeah. Would that drive that spring 
doubt that you would have every year. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Because that's usually when the challenges arose, was in the spring. <laughs> yeah. And then... Um, and our children are vicariously getting those experiences as they're watching us and as we're talking with them about our experiences and what we're learning. They get to learn through our experiences, which what better education is that? Yeah. Well, I, I just had my book club like a week ago and somebody was talking about the idea that they're going to have to homeschool now, you know, and cause they're not a homeschool family. And she says, though, I'm pretty sure during quarantine schooling, the only th things my kids learned about was how to publish a book. Cause that's what she's working on is publishing a book. And somebody else who is a homeschool was like, you taught them a ton then. Look at all the things they learned from you trying to publish a book. Because, of course, that's what they talk about all the time at home. you know. But the idea of doing things for you is so educational for kids. Because that's another thing that um, somebody else said is that uh, that's one thing they worry about homeschooling is that then they have no time left for themselves. That they are like a slave to their child's education, right? Like, what is it, Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice? Yes. Prejudice, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Lady Catherine says you must have been a slave <laughs> to your child's education. And I think that's what a lot of people worry. But you're saying oh, that's the opportunity to absolutely. really teach them. My morning time is often for my kids. Our mornings, like I get up and I try to go exercise, not every day, but I try. <laughs> go exercise. We do breakfast and the more simple the breakfast, the better. And we do our morning school. So right now it changes every six months, but right now our core is we discuss the scripture and we sing a song and I share a little thing of inspiration for them. I ask them what their schedules are that day, what they're going to learn, what they're going to do. And they all scatter and they go do their thing, but I'm available for them to help them. And right now I'm taking a lot of, I'm taking a lot of classes for my own interest for the things that I'm trying to get a better education in. And I go sit at the computer and I'm studying, I'm reading books on the couch or discussing things. And my kids often will come up and sit next to me and watch the classes that I'm taking with me. They're passively they're there they're just because they want they're curious about what I'm doing yeah and they'll come sit on the couch and listen and I'll just start reading to them out of the books I'm reading and or when I'm practicing the piano whenever I'm practicing the piano a lot I love playing the piano that's always when my kids want to take piano lessons suddenly <laughs> <laughs> or whatever whatever I am doing spending a lot of time on for myself that is what they're all of a sudden very interested in as well yeah I find that to be very, very common. If I'm super into something, suddenly everybody's super into it. So for instance, a podcast. Yes. Right. I had this idea to start a podcast. I did my first interview. I'm like figuring out all the software and my 10 year old's like, I want to start a podcast too. That sounds great. And he now has five or six episodes on his podcast. It's very sporadic, but he's learning how to edit and all these different things. And he's real world experience yeah and he's super jazzed about it and he is a really good interviewer i'm sure he like, is he's an amazing interviewer like he asks deep questions and has figured out all these techniques to write down the questions beforehand and anyway yeah i 100 percent agree like your own example is so powerful yeah so even though there are definitely challenges and it was white knuckles for a while we are in a really good spot and my kids are I feel are actually better for it. They're not worse off. That's awesome. So what is what do things look like now into the future? Like you couldn't have anticipated when you started homeschool 
that you would start a Commonwealth school and lead it for six years. I probably wouldn't have started homeschooling, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> that's not the path I want. Yeah. That's too hard. <laughs> you know, or the moves. That's not me. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like, what do you anticipate? Like, what is it you want the next 10 years to look like? So we're looking at 10, 15 years, right? Before you have kids who are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Probably about, yeah, probably about 15 years before my last one leaves the house. Yeah. Gosh. So we're talking about begin with the end in mind. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, what do you want it to look like the next 15 years? Absolutely. What do you want it to look like afterward? So my biggest thing is I want, while my kids are at home, I can't really say what we're going to be doing six months from now as far as our schedule. The things that are important is are still going back to the family read, reading from the scriptures. That's our core book. Spending time together as a family and taking every opportunity to learn. We are frequently out in our garden, frequently outside and looking at plants together and looking at bugs. And we had some baby fledglings in our yard just yesterday. And so we've learned all about cedar wax wings. We actually learned they're pretty rare here. And so hmm. it was kind of neat to experience this and to have this learning experience. And my kids, it's going to be a trip. They're never going to forget it. Oh, yeah. You know, so moving on to the future, I expect more of this. I expect my kids when they hit 12 that they're going to suddenly from being helpful and awesome and being excited to kind of lumps that don't really want to do anything because that just is what happens. <laughs> and, you know, and then I expect them when they're 14 to kind of come out of this fog. And it's kind of more developmentally what I expect from my kids at this point. But I do expect overall to be continually growing, continually learning, continually focused on self-improvement in ways to help them become better people, better citizens, better, more aware of what's going on around them and putting them in a position where they can make a difference. They have the confidence to make a difference and they aren't held back by fears. So when they leave the house, you know, 20 years from now, 20, 25 years from now, when my children are all up and grown, I am hoping that if they live close, I'm hoping that we get together and a similar situation happens where I get to finally step into a finally <laughs> when I get to eventually step into a grandmother's role and be a mentor in that regard. And I I think that would be amazing to kind of continue that relationship and but the core of everything comes back to our family relationships. So I can't imagine those core principles changing no matter what life throws at us. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Anything else? Any other stories? Like anything about your experiences so far that you want to share? It can be good or bad. It can be like, this is where I failed and it didn't go well and I wish I'd done it differently. Or this is where I triumphed and it went perfectly and was amazing. <laughs> like partly, I want to give listeners background too. Like I came to the Commonwealth the first fall. Uh-huh. Right? But it was after the first project, the six-week project. Yeah, you're right. I, I missed the first project. We moved here the beginning of the second project. And, um, by the January, you were like, do you want to lead this class? And I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> you were the only person that said yes, by the way, that year. 
I just always assume that I'm going to have to do something like you don't ride for free is how I think. And so I was like, well, eventually, yes, of course, I'm going to have to do something. I will do this group of like, oh, the that's four not to- true. there was one other person who said yes to everything oh, okay, too good, good. well the four to seven year olds you're like yeah. you want to teach that room i'm like i totally know four to seven year olds got it nailed it and then not long after that you're like do you want to teach shakespeare with me in the fall and i had to think about that like i wasn't sure i had the right age of kids like my oldest two would be just the right age they're going to be 14 and 12 mm-hmm. you know but i was like i don't know i've read two Shakespeare plays ever like I like Shakespeare I think if you can know if you like something when you've only read two plays and yeah like tell tell some stories about like trying to launch those classes for the older oh. kids or trying okay. to manage parents with the younger any of those stories like there's we've like hashed out we've had group therapy couples therapy about this a lot <laughs> six years working through these things I'm just curious like what story would you want to share oh man there's just so many stories it's it's actually hard for me to come up with stories because I always think about again going back to principles and so each experience definitely like overall it was hard to get people on board at first they they liked, again, they liked what I was saying, but they didn't really want to do the work. So what about getting the kids on board? Like, tell the story oh, of trying to get my, yes, this group of kids yes, on board of doing Shakespeare. Okay. So at the beginning, at the end of our very first year, I was kind of, I had no, by the way, I had no intention of starting a scholar school, one for the kids 12 and older. My oldest at this time was, I think, 10 so he was a couple years away and I, so I wasn't even thinking about this. One day we were sitting around and I was in our opening exercises and I looked around and I was like, wow, there's some older kids here. If I want to keep these families, I need to provide something for them because families are going to go where their kids are happy. And if there's something that only meets half the family's needs, Families do not want to be a part of it. Homeschool families do not want to be a part of it. They don't like the running around. Yeah. They don't like having to split their time. Nope. <laughs> we are very greedy with our time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I kind of just asked one day, I was like, so who's going to be 12 in here by the end of this year? And there were six hands that raised. And I was like, Okay. We're going to have to do something about this. So at the time I had a different, I had another mentor who was kind of helping me build up this Commonwealth. And I talked to her about it. She, she gave me a program that we, she's like, you have to do this. And she had told me about it before. And I was like, just like with the Commonwealth, because my friend who did, ran the playgroup was like, you should start a Commonwealth. And I said, no, that's too much work. <laughs> same thing you needed to you need to do this with for the scholars no it's too much work but we needed it and it was worth it to me to go through the work to retain those families to keep them on board so we went to training and went to Shakespeare and I did like Shakespeare I had an appreciation for Shakespeare I hadn't read a lot of Shakespeare my big experience with, with Shakespeare was in high school reading Julius Caesar did not understand a word of it I didn't and 
But when I was in college, again, because of the classics, I had started attending Shakespeare plays. So I was familiar with quite a few of his plays through that experience. But I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, which I think is kind of the fun part about this is <laughs> I do tend to jump in with both feet. <laughs> and it's not until I'm halfway through that I think, what am I doing? What, what? what did I think this was going to be like? <laughs> yeah, I do the exact same thing where I'm like, this sounds like a good idea. Let's throw all my resources at it and see what happens. Yep. So I tend to be one of those types of people. So jumped in and I realized very quickly, I'm like, well, I need someone to do it with me. And so that's when I asked you to come. I'm like, hey, you want to come do this with me? I didn't know who else to ask, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I was your last choice. I was your only choice. You were my first choice. <laughs> if you said no, <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do. Probably would have been begging to someone else. Like, hey, I'm really stuck now. <laughs> My one choice who might have been interested. Oh my goodness. And so we went to training and training was fun and it was hard. And it was three days of intense Shakespeare. We learned how to direct a play. We learned how to put on a play. We learned all about Shakespeare. We learned about the different plays. We had to do reports. We had to write papers. We had to read plays. And we had to read, I think, what, two yeah. within these three-day period. And we had to perform a play. Like, it was intense. I'm trying and to remember what plays I even read. Othello was one We of read them. Othello. Yeah, we, maybe it's just, we read Othello and Julius Julius Caesar. No, no we I wrote Othello. Some... There was two of them. Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, we read Othello and Romeo and Juliet. And that was intense. And then we performed Comedy of Errors. And at this training. At this like training. Like a scene. Yes. A scene from Comedy of Errors. Yes. That was a hoot. That was oh hilarious. Goodness. And I was out of my comfort zone the entire time. <laughs> I remember. I hated, I don't like a lot of attention on myself. It actually makes me really uncomfortable. And I had to be on stage and I hated it. And I had to um, do all of this improv acting and I hated it. And I was just, I even went to the mentor and I said, you know, I am not good at this. I don't really enjoy it. I'm really struggling with it. I don't know. I mean, my own discomfort aside, how am I going to teach this next year? And she's just like, well, she went through a whole bunch of things. Do you know how to do this? Can you do this? Da, 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 da. And some of them I was like, well, yeah, I actually do that. And yeah, I do that. And well, no, actually, I don't do that. And she's like, well, how are you going to get good at it? You're going to practice it. And so we came home from training, which was the end of June. And all summer long, I practiced improv on my family. Did you? I did. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's hilarious. I did. If my kids would say something, I would just start acting it out. Like I would try to do anything to get myself more comfortable with improv. And it's it's not necessarily that I don't like it. I just didn't think that I was good at it because I like to kind of think through things a little bit. And yes, I do jump in with both feet, but I'm not usually but I usually think about it. A little when bit you're not performing when you're i'm not, not performing, performing right yeah. like yes i had the that's actually why i quit piano lessons because i hated performing with a passion yeah and so anyway um yeah so shakespeare that was interesting so all summer long we were trying to sell it to these older kids like this is going to be so much fun it's going to be awesome the first day we showed up i dressed up as queen elizabeth that day I gave my lecture, my little talk, my little speech, and the kids looked like deer in the headlights. 
there were two kids who were like on the edge of their seat like more we want more and everyone else was just like oh my goodness this is what did I get myself into come to find out most of their mothers had bribed them to be in the class oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> like just just try it just see how it goes some of them even had like back doors to get out like yes after four weeks you may quit yes kind of thing we didn't lose a single student nope <laughs> <laughs> we kept them going and it was amazing teaching that class was transformational I had the opportunity to direct that year and I we got to do one of my favorite plays in Midsummer Night's Dream to this day it's still one of my favorites it's actually not my favorite anymore, though. What's your favorite now? My favorite now is As You Like It. Oh, okay. Which is why that's the next one I want to direct. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I love that play. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> it's just so funny. Every line is just hilarious. Anyway, so we got through the play and the kids, like, I felt like the entire year I was like, trying to support them like this is going to be amazing just believe me just have faith in me just trust me it's going to be great and they all came along we had by the end we just were praying that we'd have more students and by the end of the year when we put on the play we had I think we had 13 students that year we ended up having 13 students so we doubled our original six and then to fill in all the fairies we brought in our our love of learning so the younger age kids younger siblings nine ten year old girls yeah. And it was so much fun. The kids had so much fun. They just loved it. And the first night they were terrified to go on stage. Oh, they were so terrified. And the second night they did so much improv on stage. I couldn't believe them. like, this is not the play that I directed. <laughs> <laughs> they were just so into it and so jazzed and so excited. That play that year was so transformational. It was such a big building blocks building block for our school for our commonwealth and for those kids and it really helped launch the commonwealth to be a so successful yeah it's true because when because I co-taught with you that year Mm -hmm. and the next year I was the lead Mm -hmm. mentor for the class and man those kids came in day one ready to go they were just like bring it we are on this and we even had like four or five new yeah kids who'd never done it you know they were either we only had one who had like aged up the other kids were all just new to the commonwealth in general but man the energy was just so high that it was contagious everybody was so amped up it was fantastic and to this day it's still one of the favorite classes we offer yeah so yeah that's one of my fun stories that's a great one i love because in the spring we did some kind of a um like we had all the scholars come and say this is what we're planning on doing that meeting at your house oh yeah yeah and they just were all like no over my dead body Mm -hmm. i'm not doing this my kids begged me not to put them in that class and i was like guys (laughs) i'm helping teach it you're doing this the end (laughs) they were terrified so terrified but that's kind of become a theme in my leadership is i am constantly getting parents to teach classes that they're terrified to teach that they don't think that they can they can i'm getting students to take classes that they're terrified to take that they think is the worst thing in the world and they come out so grateful that they've taken it and they feel changed because of it and the parents do too and then that kind of were, and this was all this buildup was during those first three or four years. We are now at a point where I actually don't end up, 
I'm not selling anymore. I can usually call someone up and say, hey, are you willing to, are you able to do this? And everyone says, yeah, I can do that. Something may come up like, well, we're moving and I can't do that or I'm pregnant and I can't do that or I'm going to have a new baby. You know, legitimate reasons. But yeah, but these last couple of years has been very smooth sailing. Like I don't have the pushback from parents anymore. The students are all at a buy-in. And this year was fantastic because this spring we had our first student board meeting where the students, we got feedback from the students of what classes they actually want to take next year. And we were able to build our scholar school curriculum around what our students wanted, which is amazing. I think kind of critical with what's going on in the world too, with COVID, like really, if we're saying online is the best way we're going to be able to do this, what are you willing to do online? Mm -hmm. And almost all the kids were like, I'm not doing Shakespeare online. Yeah. It's not going to work. Except for three. Well, I mean, the one, (laughs) I have some of those three. (laughs) They were like, if there's a chance, we'll meet in person. I want to do Shakespeare. Yeah. If there's no chance. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's, I think it's amazing. It's cool too, because we have this culture, this culture is so built up now, like it's created that when, because we do get new families every year. Always. Yeah we're able to really express that better, what it is that we do, what this means, what it looks like. So people know better going mm-hmm. in. Yeah. You know? And I'm no longer the only one selling it. Yeah. Now I've got a whole group of people who have, this is what they want. And it helps that we've got all these kids who've aged out and moved on. Mm-hmm. And we're able we have to say, success stories. We have success stories, right? Like, <laughs> And we do have families that they only go to a certain point and then move on to other things. They don't stay through graduation. But, you know, in general, success can look a bunch of different ways. Absolutely. You know, but absolutely. But it does help to have success story. The play is a big, the big help for sure. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year with no play. Yeah, I think it'll still be good. I guess one of the other fun classes that I had the opportunity of teaching is called Quest. And that's a two-year-long class, three class, three semesters. And that first, I just, this last year, I had the opportunity of teaching it a second time. We're in the middle of it. And, but the very first time, the kids were a lot like Shakespeare. I felt like I was constantly, you can do it. You can do it. Come on. This is going to be worth it. Trust me. It's going to be great. And of course, I was putting myself through the class. And that's the great, that's one of, I guess, one of the biggest things with, that I hear from newbies or wannabe homeschoolers is I don't have enough education. I have no idea about these things. And that's the great thing is you can learn alongside. You just have to be slightly more dedicated. You have to be a little bit more or a little bit further along the path. And truth be told, we all are because as adults, we have more experience. We have more life experience to bring to the table. We have more maturity. And so when we go back and we're learning these things, we see connections that our students don't have the ability to see. Or we're being refreshed on ideas or concepts that we learned while we were in school, but we may have forgotten. And so it's that second hearing, that second experience, that second exposure that we are able to make stronger connections. So this first year of Quest, it's a amazing class the best way I've ever heard it described is multifaceted because they are learning how to read deeply we read a lot of we do a lot of document studies so we're reading the Gettysburg Address I have a dream speech Gandhi's speech 
we're reading speeches by some of the greatest statesmen throughout history who've changed the world. We're reading biographies. Then they have an oral exam at the end of and a, at the end of the first semester, a written test that they have to take and pass to be able to move on. And then the next section, they are studying their own statesmen and stateswomen, the people who they feel inspired by, people who they want to be like. But we're focused more on the traits of what makes a great statesman. And throughout that, they are still writing three-page papers every two weeks. And then in addition to that, they've got a 10-page research persuasive paper that they have to write, plus do an oral 10 minute oral presentation, which is fantastic. And yes, I did all of those things. I didn't do the oral presentation at the end because they were doing that for those parents, their parents. Yeah, it's, it's not <laughs> That would you. be weird. Yeah. <laughs> but I did give oral reports in class to my students and I didn't do everyone, but I definitely did the first couple to show them what they could do and to show them how they could improve on their oral reports. And I read all the books. I wrote all the papers. I did everything right alongside my students. And so even though I was mentoring the class, I was learning with them. But because, again, because of my experience of life experience, I brought a little bit more to the table. So I, it did qualify me to mentor them. And then Quest 3 is amazing because it's all about worldviews. And so that was this is my favorite is at the end of Quest 3, the third semester of Quest, they do a mock Supreme Court. And that first class was terrified. Oh, yeah. I was there. Well, yes. I was mother to two of the people in it. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were terrified. And they had two. We did two, two simulations. One they did in front of mentors, me and other mentors. And then the other one, we invited local lawyers to act as a Supreme Court. And we went down to, we were able to use the city council chambers. And so we were down there in a very courtroom type setting with lawyers in front of them, pounding them with questions. They, they grilled them. They were not nice. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't hold back. Let's they, say did that. Not they didn't hold, hold back. They did not hold back. And they were, but afterward I had the opportunity to go out in the hallway with these lawyers and kind of hear their decision. I was just like, I just want to hear what you're saying. I, you know, and they were so impressed with this group of kids. They were amazing. Just the poise and the ability to answer and the ability to think through these questions. And that came because of this class. And it, same thing, they finished that class and they were just like, oh my goodness, I can't <laughs> believe I just survived that. But the second class coming around, the students in this class, they either had a sibling in that class or they had watched their friends go through that class. So they all knew what they were getting into. The first group of students did not know. <laughs> they were just like me. The second group knew what they were in for and they have been eating it up. Like they can't get enough of it. Yeah. It's So my oldest was in that first crop of mm -hmm. classes and then her other you know friends they've gone on her friend kobe also went to community college at that point mm -hmm. like they finished quest and then started classes at community college and my daughter madeline has said nothing at community college was as hard as those two years in quest like nothing at that point and she said like taking english courses writing papers for psychology all of it was so much easier because of quest so 
that was just so great for my younger kids to look at that and go, oh, college is easy compared to Quest. And either a mixture of, you know, knee trembling, quaking fear and also like, okay, yeah, bring it. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah. It's been so it's just I think maybe I get a little bit of enjoyment of scaring the kids in my classes (laughs) and then be like, see. I knew you could do it. (laughs) A little glee there. Not bad. But I I love what you're saying that you're learning alongside with them and that you don't have to be light years ahead of your kids. No. You know, and that's something I was interviewed on a different podcast called Listen, Learn and Love. And one of the things I told him is I said, when kids want to learn something, they don't want a PhD in it. They want a taste of it. They want an experience of it. And then if they want more, you give them more. And if they get to the point where you can't provide enough, then you get an outside help and Mm -hmm. you find other resources and they really can teach themselves a lot or you can find the mentors. The best education is always self-education. Yeah. Everything else is like if you're just trying to shove stuff down people's throats. It's not really education. It's schooling. Yeah. It doesn't work. And the students are writing papers, three-page reports three-page persuasive essays every two weeks or anything else you want to share trying to think you know one of my favorite things that one of my favorite experiences with my kids was last summer I love to travel and my husband doesn't really enjoy it and because of his job he's not really he really can't take much time off and I was getting a little antsy in my pants and just going out to the coast which we love the coast was just not doing it for me anymore I wanted my son's Uh, he was 14 last year and I wanted him to have certain experiences before he left our house. And one of those is I wanted him to see other parts of the country. I wanted him to realize that there are places where it's not green year round. (laughs) There are places where the sun does actually shine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Imagine that. (laughs) I know today's one of those beautiful days, but so we went on a road trip. We went on a three week road trip, just myself and the six kids around and we saw some of the greatest things. We went down through Southern Utah and Arizona. We saw the Grand Canyon and we drove up through California. So we just made a little loop and that experience, the education my children got on that. Again, we did our family read and everything while on the trip, but we learned so much history. We got to talk to people and meet people and taste things, taste different cultures. And even though we can do a lot of those things here, it was different being there and experiencing it. To this day, it's one of those things that my kids constantly talk about. And we were actually going to go on another trip this summer because it was so powerful, but COVID hit. Yeah, COVID. Yes. Uh, That's going to really date this podcast. Super is. (laughs) Well, you know, we end up talking about it almost every interview. Like it's just (laughs) such a part of our reality. It is. It is. So that's one of the other things is that I guess that's one of my favorite things is homeschooling can be done anywhere and it can be powerful. And however, however it's done, it's worth it. It's worth it. Thanks Sia for being on the podcast today. It was really fun. After we hit stop on the recording, we just kept talking because that's what we always do. Once we get started, it's really hard to stop. So we end up talking for much longer. It was great fun. There's links in the show notes for all the different things that we talked about, leadership education, the lollipop book. Uh, You can find more information on North Star Commonwealth, the school that 
Sia is chairman of and I'm on the board. But mostly just, I'm so glad she came on and we got to have a chat that was super fun. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. And this is If Homeschool Walls Could Talk and I'm your host, Jenny Hahn. <laughs>